If you will, please turn to a portion that was just read to us in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. I want to unpack just one verse there. Number 45. We read it in one of the parallel gospels. But here it is recorded to us by Matthew, the disciple. Now, you'll remember that Matthew uh, was not exactly a man who was interested in the things of God just a few years earlier. In fact, his greatest concern was money. Money, money, money. That's what he did for a living. He made a lot of money. He did it in a very corrupt way. He stole money. He was a tax collector. And he would collect some for the Roman government and then a lot for himself. That was just the way they did it. Until he encountered Christ and his life was radically changed. And he saw that it wasn't money that he needed, but rather it was a savior. And he followed Christ. And after three years of following Christ, he penned these words. We're looking at just one verse. Chapter 27, verse 45. In regards to the crucifixion of Christ, we read this. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. The account of the cross presents to us several miracles. uh, Miracles that we don't necessarily speak much about, but the crucifixion uh, relates to us various miracles. The significance of uh, these miracles, I I think, is something we should ponder. We don't make much mention of these miracles, but we should not be surprised that they were miracles at the cross of Christ. After all, they were miracles at the birth of Christ. How much more should there be miracles then at the cross of Christ when the purpose of Christ is being fulfilled? At the manger, we had uh, the the, the announcement by the angels to the shepherds, miraculously. Of course, we had also earlier, some nine months earlier, we had the calling of Mary to become the mother of the baby Jesus. And of course, we all know the story of the wise men who followed the star. All these were miraculous episodes at the birth of Christ. How much more then should we see miracles at the, at the cross of Christ? And in this case here, verse 45, it's just one miracle. It says here that at the sixth hour there was darkness all over the land until the ninth hour. The sky became dark at noon. Now here it says the sixth hour because in, in this particular part of Israel, the day began at 6 a.m., And so noon would have been the sixth hour. For us, it's the twelfth hour. And of course, the ninth hour would be our three o'clock. Our fifteenth hour we call third hour, or three o'clock p.m. For them, it was the ninth hour. For three hours, the skies grew dark. Now, we're all familiar with the skies getting dark. I mean, it's getting dark now. Every day, we see the skies getting dark. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, and the world around us becomes dark. 
but we are not accustomed to seeing the sky dark at noon on the sixth hour. And the darkness that would last three hours into the afternoon. Darkness itself, however, was not truly the miracle. Bad storms can make the sky dark. Uh, An eclipse can make the sky dark. But this darkness was different. And there's the miracle and the difference of the darkness. If you were to compare what we see here in Matthew to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, beginning at verse 44, it reads this way. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining. It simply became dark. Somehow, some way, the rays of the sun were not able to penetrate into our world for three hours. At the end of those three hours, Christ would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, here we see that the sun stopped shining. We are not going contrary to what we would understand scientifically to suggest that the sun, that star in orbit, simply stopped flashing but rather simply that the light of the sun did not penetrate into our world. How would people have responded? Well, how would you have responded if suddenly it got dark at noon? Of course, some people were alarmed, for they knew what had just happened to Jesus Christ. They were frightened. Certainly, it must have been a very sobering experience. Suddenly, as Christ is dying, The sky is growing dark, pitch dark. It was a darkness that nobody could deny. Lamps were being lit. Candles were being lit in the house at noon. And you could just imagine all the talk, all the fear, all the confusion as they were preparing for Passover. Now, Matthew does not describe the miracle or the response other than to to say what we just saw here he simply states the fact he makes no effort whatsoever to try to explain it and i believe that's because darkness is very fitting for the death of christ it's very fitting to have a darkened sky as jesus christ the savior was being executed nothing more is recorded about this activity at the cross around the cross The gospel narrative is completely silent. And if you're not careful, you'll read right over it. Maybe you have. The reason why nothing more is said is because nothing more mattered. Our Savior was sinking into death. And so the land was blackened. All that mattered was the darkness. Covering up the suffering Christ. Now, Jesus had prayed for those mocking soldiers who stood at the foot of the cross. Jesus had promised eternal life to the the man that was hanging to his right. Jesus had looked to John the disciple and said, John, take care of my mother. The religious community 
had already taunted Christ. They had already mocked him. Now all that there was left to do was to die in the dark. Now, I think you'll find it interesting that there's actual historical evidence for this darkness. Around the year 200, Tertullian, who was an early church father, he was an apologist, a defender of the faith. Tertullian wrote to the Roman senator Proculus about this darkness. And listen to what Tertullian wrote. In the same hour, too, the light, was, the light of day was withdrawn when the sun at the very time was in its maiden blaze when it should have been shining the, at, at its peak. It became dark. And those who were not aware that this had been predicted about Christ, no doubt, thought it was an eclipse. He writes, You yourselves have account of the world portent still in your archives. You, Senator, have a record in your own archives of this episode some 180 years ago. Now, if they did not have such a record, certainly Tertullian would not have suggested to the good Senator that they did. But you'll notice that there should be no surprise for any of of us here because this was prophesied in the Old Testament in the book of Amos, chapter 8, verses 9 and 10. And here's the prophecy. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious feast into weeping. Indeed, Passover at noon became a time of mourning, a time of crying. But there's another piece of evidence, and that is that of Pontius Pilate, the governor who is overseeing the execution of Jesus Christ. And he writes to Tiberius, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, the Caesar at the time of Jesus Christ. And look at what he wrote, the governor wrote to the emperor. And when he had been crucified, there was darkness over the whole earth. This is Pontius Pilate writing. It's not biblical, it's extra biblical, but it is historical. And when he had been crucified, there was darkness over the whole earth, the sun having been completely hidden, and heaven appearing dark, so that the stars appeared, but had at the same time their brightness darkened. As I suppose your reverence is not ignorant of, because in all the world they lighted lamps from the sixth hour until evening. And the moon, being like blood, did not shine the whole night, and yet she happened to be at the full. Here we have the highest authority in that pagan land of Rome recognizing the events recorded here, in Matthew 27, verse 45. What's the significance of this miracle for us? Well, now, like a tarp, the darkness cloaked the suffering Christ on the cross. Utter darkness, so that man could not witness the shame and the humiliation of our Savior, as all the sins of men who would believe were placed on Christ 
the one who never knew sin, would now encompass the sin of millions. The darkness covered it all. The darkness marked the end of the day, yes. The Passover sun suddenly was gone. Before they could celebrate their Jewish holiday, the true Passover lamb had died. And so the day was over. The lamb had been slain. The holy day was finished. It was completed. It was fulfilled. Not in their kitchens, not in their dining rooms, but on a cross of Christ. The darkness was demonstrating as well God's wrath and God's judgment. A darkness that said that Christ is now guilty. A judgment and wrath on Jesus Christ himself. And that's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have I been separated from my father? In anguish, he cries out these words as he received the sin of the world unto himself. There was God's wrath on his own son. To him came the painful judgment of our sins. But it was also God's judgment and wrath on the people of Israel for their sins, for how they had refused Christ, for how they had abandoned God. Now judgment was falling on God's chosen nation as that darkness consumed those who had rejected Jesus Christ. That darkness said, if you reject Christ, then there is no atonement, there is no forgiveness of your sins. But that darkness was also the wrath and judgment of God over the world. Not just Christ, not just Israel, but even the world. The sun stopped shining throughout the world. And as we saw, even the emperor of Rome witnessed this darkness. Just as Pharaoh, recall Pharaoh and the Egyptians had witnessed a darkness that did not allow them to be able to attack the the Israelites and win over them, well, now we have a darkness here that plagues the world. Sign of judgment, a sign of God's wrath over sin. My friends, it was undeniable. Just as the dark is coming to us now, so is this darkness undeniable. God had spoken. The darkness resembled the sinful hearts of so many. The darkness resembled our alienation from God. It's not just limited to the people of Israel, but to the world. A world that's worthy of nothing but God's judgment. And that's why Christ died. So that we would not have to be judged by God. So that we can be forgiven. So that we can have life. And life abundant. And life everlasting. Because he was willing to be judged in our place. And just as the darkness was lifted, eventually, the darkness was lifted, so is God's judgment lifted on those who receive Christ. It's the beauty of Good Friday, my friends. It's the beauty of Golgotha. It's the beauty of the empty tomb. 
The Passover lamb, yes, he was slain. Atonement has been made. The wrath of God has been satisfied. And now we can be made new in Jesus Christ. We have reason to worship and celebrate. He gives us new life. You realize how many people are looking for new life? You realize how many people we pass from day to day? The car next to us in line in front of us in the cubicle behind us. People who are looking for new life and it's found in Christ alone, by faith alone, because of his grace alone. New life. A life without the penalty of sin, a life without the darkness of sin. That's why we read in 2 Peter 1.4, but a new creation, that's who we are, sharing in the divine nature of of God. We are not divine, but we share in his nature because of Good Friday. And for that we worship. The light, the sun has come back to us. We do not have to live in perpetual darkness. And for that we praise his name. Amen.